0: Greetings listeners, welcome to this Vetfolio educational podcast episode, sponsored today by Beringer Ingelheim. This is Dr. Mia Carey, the Chief Collaboration Officer for the North American Veterinary Community. This is the second podcast in our three-part series on vaccinations. We're exploring the topic of leptospirosis today with Dr. Steve Mashnet. Leptospirosis is one of the most significant zoonoses in the world and it is more widespread in our canine population than many think. In this podcast, Dr. Mashmet will discuss leptospira, the bacterial cause of leptospirosis, and the various serovars that can be found here in North America. Then we'll explore the pathogenesis, prevalence, diagnosis, and clinical signs of leptospirosis. Finally, we'll conclude our talk with a brief history of leptospirosis vaccines. Welcome, Dr. Mashmet. I'm so happy to have you with us here today. We're going to jump right into our first question. If you would share with us, leptospirosis. What actually is it?
1: Leptospirosis is an important worldwide zoonotic disease caused by infection with the spirochete bacterium of the genus Leptospira. The bacteria are obligate anaerobes, which need, they need air to remain alive, and are highly motile, thin, flexible, and spiral-shaped.
0: Thank you for that. Let's talk about the serovars of Leptospira. How are they classified?
1: So there are over 250 different Leptospira serovars that are pathogenic, and they're classified based on the differences in the cell surface antigens. Um, Different serovars are adapted to different wildlife or domestic animal reservoir hosts, and so therefore, serovar recognition has epidemiologic importance. In addition, immunity to Leptospira is serogroup-specific which means that if a dog develops an immune response to a certain serovar, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're cross-protected to another serovar. And this has a, um, a pretty big implication for the constructive of vaccines, which we'll discuss later.
0: Excellent. Historically, what were the most prevalent serovars, and what serovars have become the most prevalent in, say, the last 15 years?
1: Yeah, so before 1980, the serovars most commonly diagnosed in dogs in the U.S. were Leptospira canicola and leptospira ichterohemorrhagiae, which I'll refer to moving forward as just ictero. The most common serovars seen today in the U.S. are thought to be Grypotyphosa, Pomona, Bratislava, and autumnalis.
0: Okay, good, thank you, Dr. Mashmet. We talked about the serovars, let's move up to transmission. How is leptospirosis transmitted?
1: So leptospirosis can be transmitted in two different ways, either via direct transmission, And what we mean by this is direct transmission occurs between two animals in close contact, either through bites, placental uh, and venereal transfer, or ingestion of infected tissues, or the urine. Indirect transmission is far more common, however, and this occurs when the susceptible animal is exposed to an environment contaminated with infected urine.
0: That's a great overview of the transmission. What about survival in the environment? What are the ideal conditions for leptospires
1: Yes, so a warm and moist environment provides the ideal condition for the bacteria to survive outside of the host, that either being the dog or other wildlife hosts. And Leptospira shed from an infected animal can survive for years in surface waters such as lakes, streams, rivers, and even stagnant water like puddles.
0: Thank you. And the difference between a reservoir host and an incidental host, let's talk about that a little bit.
1: So the reservoir host is, is the species that can become chronically infected with the pathogen or the bacteria. Often the reservoir host doesn't exhibit signs of disease, and yet will continue to shed the bacteria in the urine. The dog is the reservoir host for Leptospira canicola. With regard to the other serovars, the reservoir host for Ictero is the rat. For Grippo, it's the raccoon, skunk, bowl, and possum. And for Pomona, it's the cow, pig, skunk, and possum. When incidental hosts are infected with the Cirovacidin, they usually develop clinical disease and either clear the infection or die. Both dogs and humans can be incidental hosts for all of the leptospiracy serovars mentioned.
0: Excellent. So clearly some differences there that we need to be aware of, but also our clients as well. What about the type of dog? Are only large breed and outdoor dogs at risk for leptospirosis?
1: It's a really good question because I think a lot of people assume that it is more the large breed dogs and outdoor dogs that are at risk. However, really any dog can be at risk of leptospirosis. It's no longer a disease only associated with large breed and outdoor dogs. Now, some really interesting changes have happened or occurred over the last 20 years with regard to risk factors and the incidence of the disease. So there's been an increased risk of contact between wildlife reservoir hosts and dogs, and this has been due to high density of urban wildlife and increasing urbanisation. There's been an increased prevalence of leptospirosis in dogs under 15 pounds, from 2000 and 2009 which represents a, pre- a significant change from previous decades where the disease was really only seen in, in large breed dogs. The higher incidence in small breed dogs may be attributed to perceptions on the relative risk of exposure, so historically people didn't believe that small breed dogs were environments that they could be exposed to leptospirosis and or the risk of vaccine associated adverse events which at least anecdotally seem to appear more commonly in small breed dogs than in large breed dogs.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what happens in the host. How does the bacteria actually cause disease in the host?
1: The bacteria causes disease in the host. It does differ depending on whether the host is the reservoir host for that seriva or the incidental host. So if we look at the reservoir host, infection occurs when the spirochetes enter the body through the mucous membrane. So that's either going to be the eyes, nose or the mouth or abrasions in the skin so not intact skin early in infection the leptospiras are found throughout the carriers body that's in the eyes liver spleen kidneys and genital tract the host immune response uh, usually then clears the spirochetes from most organs yet they may remain in the proximal tubules of the kidney uh, the host is often unaffected by the presence of these leptospira yet they are shed in the urine and contaminate the surrounding environment now with the incidental host infection occurs once again when the pathogenic leptospires enter the body through the mucous membranes, that's the eyes, nose, or mouth, or abrasions in the skin. However, in the incidental host, the leptospires enter the blood vessels and replicate rapidly, um, lasting for a few days, which we call the leptospiremic phase. From there, they invade and damage a variety of end organs. These could be the kidneys, liver, blood vessels, lungs, uterus, eyes, and brain.
0: And what about the clinical signs, Dr. Mashmet? What are the clinical signs of leptospirosis?
1: So the clinical signs may depend on the serovar, the virulence of the invading bacteria, the immune status of the patient, and the organ that the bacteria ends up targeting the most. So although many cases that are diagnosed present with signs associated with acute renal failure, clinical signs can range from anything from anorexia, dehydration, fever, muscle tenderness, to abdominal pain, vomiting and diarrhea, and signs of liver and or kidney failure.
0: Great overview of the clinical signs. What about diagnosis? How is leptospirosis most accurately diagnosed?
1: So there are, there are two ways of detecting leptospirosis in dogs. And when we divide them into those two ways, we're looking at direct testing versus indirect testing. So direct testing is demonstrating the organisms in the blood and all the urine using techniques such as PCR. There are other techniques, but PCR is probably one of the most common. Indirect testing, is probably done more often, and the way indirect testing works is it detects antibodies, so antibodies to the leptospira itself, using techniques such as the microscopic agglutination test, otherwise known as the MAT, or more commonly now, the the in-clinic test or the test that can be sent to the lab called the SNAP-lepto test.
0: So we talked about the diagnosis, a little bit of the pathogenesis. Let's talk about prevention. What environmental modifications can be made to help all of us prevent leptospirosis?
1: So in terms of minimizing dog's exposure to leptospirosis, the first one is to minimize exposure to standing water. So this is anything from rivers, streams, lakes, even even puddles in the city neighborhoods. Isolating dogs who may be shedding leptospires. So we're not going to go into discussing treatment today, but having said that, early antibiotic therapy, whether it be doxycycline or penicillin and its derivatives, as well as minimizing organ damage will quickly clear the leptospiromic phase and sterilize the urine, therefore preventing spread of the bacteria to other animals and humans. So really the risk to people is minimal within 24 hours of antibiotic therapy, but caution really should still be taken for the duration of the hospitalization and continued at home. The third way to minimize it is to limit contact with wildlife.
0: Since we're on the theme of prevention, let's take a little time to talk about vaccination. What vaccines are available to help prevent leptospirosis?
1: So in terms of vaccines that are available to prevent leptospirosis, I would sort of divide them into three categories. We have what we call the two-way leptospirosis vaccines, and these are vaccines that contain only the serovars Canicola, and ictero. Then we have the four-way leptospirosis vaccines, which contain the Canicola, ictero, Grippo, and Pomona. And then we have combination vaccines, so combination vaccines that contain, say, core vaccines, distemper, adenoparbo, for example, in addition to a two-way or a four-way leptospirosis vaccine.
0: And what about some data that's out there in the marketplace? How are studies designed to access the efficacy of leptospirosis vaccines?
1: So there are many ways in which you can assess the efficacy of leptospirosis vaccines. By far the most common way to assess the efficacy is by challenging dogs with virulent serovars. That means actually challenging them with each serovar that you wish to attain uh, information on. And then assessing the prevention of disease, which is often referred to as leptospirosis, the prevention of urinary shedding, which is referred to as leptospiruria, and duration of immunity, so how long the vaccine is actually effective for.
0: So for our last question, Dr. Mashmet, let's talk about protocols. What protocols are recommended in the AHA canine vaccination guidelines for leptospirosis vaccine?
1: So according to the 2011 AHA canine vaccine guidelines, they define leptospirosis as a non-core vaccine and they recommend to administer the four-serivar vaccine, so the four-way lepto, as opposed to the two-serivar or two-way lepto, which they do not recommend. In terms of puppies, they, they recommend that uh, puppies should receive DAP, so distemper adenoparvo vaccines, between six and 16 weeks of age, and leptospirosis vaccine should be delayed until 12 weeks of age. When they look at small breed dogs, they recommend that leptospirosis vaccines may be delayed until after completion of the initial core vaccine series, that's after the DAP vaccine. And in adult dogs, even though they recommend that core vaccines may be administered every three years, leptospirosis vaccines must be administered every year.
0: Thank you, listeners. That's a wrap. Dr. Mashmet, we'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. I enjoyed hearing your thoughts on leptospirosis very much. And also, we'd like to thank Beringer Ingelheim. They sponsor today's Vetfolio Educational Podcast. And listeners, thanks so much for being with us. We hope you enjoyed the second in this three-part series on vaccinations.